We are live. Hi, I'm Jeff Johnston, host of the Living Undeterred live stream. This is our third, yes, third live stream. And I am, uh, like I say, the last previous show, um, I'm beyond stoked for tonight's show. I have two great, awesome guests, and I cannot wait to see uh, what roads we go down and navigate through tonight. This is going to be a super exciting show. Just a couple house cleaning things. First of all, uh, the podcast that I post on Fridays, um, the one coming up uh, tomorrow, actually, is going to be with my brother, Steve. And that's a that's an interesting show because Steve's a professional musician. He plays for one of the largest Elton John tribute bands down in the St. Louis area. And we talk a lot about music and about uh, how, how therapeutic it can be and how songs can help us deal with uh, trauma and adversity that we have in our lives. So that's going to be a great show. And then the second thing is I have an absolutely huge mega project in the works. It's so big that I can't tell you about it tonight. So you're going to have to follow my story a little bit more. This, this project I'm on, I've stumbled onto uh, recently. And uh, one beautiful thing with ADD is when you get onto something, you just can't stop. Well, that's, that's what this project's doing to me. So I'm really excited about it. It's gonna be in 2022. I'm going to take quite a few months to plan for this, but when it comes out, it's going to be the biggest thing that uh, we've ever done here at the Living Undeterred Project. And everybody that's in my life, all the people that have been podcast guests, uh, interviews I've had, even the two people tonight on my show are going to be part of this uh, journey that I'm putting together. So with with that, let's introduce the guest tonight. We have an awesome, awesome uh, first guest, I'm going to introduce Danielle McLean. She is, and both these people have been friends of mine for what seems like since high school, but it's only been about three months, <laughs> which is absolutely insane with uh, the way social media is today, how well and intimately you get to know people, but you've actually never even shook their hands. Um, so Danielle, welcome to the show. And your story is is beyond inspirational, beyond living undeterred. And the uh, followers and viewers today are going to be uh, very uh, grateful to have the opportunity to hear your story today. So, Danielle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jeff. That was a very nice intro. Thanks, everybody, for having me here. Um, yeah, so uh, my name is Danielle McLean. I, I run a small startup called Happy Takeoff. Um, before starting Happy Takeoff, I had a bumpy past and, and we'll get into that a little bit more. But um, for now, I'll just say that I met Jeff from a video that I posted on LinkedIn. Um, I had this big fear um, as an entrepreneur that people were going to find out these horrible things about my past and they weren't going to want to do business with me. And it just kept haunting me. So I just said, screw it. And I basically just told my life in 60 seconds and um, it was very therapeutic and actually nobody judged me from it. I haven't had one negative thing happen to it. Um, doors just started opening and, and I met Jeff that way and, and so many people were supportive. Um, so I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but, um, but yeah, I'm just so happy to be here. I'm really excited to be meeting David as well. And I'm excited to see what kind of craziness we'll get into tonight. <laughs> Thanks, Danielle. Um, <laughs> and and David, I don't I don't know where to start with you either, man. You just kind of drifted in uh, from above into my life, and I have been just uh, really honored to follow your story. I've got you sent me a stack of uh, autographed books that I donated off to my charity golf tournament, the Living Undeterred Charity Golf Classic. 
And again, both of you feel like old friends, old souls. And to think I've loaned you guys for, you know, 90 days is just, it's beautiful. And it's also intriguing because think how well, how much more we can do together uh, after, you know, nine years of doing this stuff. Um, and David, you, you know, I'll let you introduce yourself, but your story is awesome as well. I've seen so many videos of you on YouTube back in your modeling days. Um, you know, your story is an inspirational story as well. You've had heartache and heart um, heartbreak in your life. And here you are, motivational coach, life coach, best-selling author. You know, both of you, both of you wonderful humans are doing awesome things. And I am uh, I'm really excited about going through this tonight. So, David, do you want to give a little bit of a little bio about yourself before I throw out a softball question for you too? It's absolutely Danielle, awesome to meet you as well. And I'm looking forward to your story. I, I really am. And Jeff, you know, you are a favorite. My fiance, Mia, and I always talk about the last couple of shows we've done. And she loves you. She loves your energy. I love you. I love your energy. You know, so when T reached out to TJ and said, hey, can we do this again? It was like, are you kidding me? We'll we'll move a mountain. We'll move a mountain for Jeff because, you know, we believe in the messages that you're sharing. Uh, it, I mean, my background is uh, pretty interesting in, in some ways, I guess you could say 30 year alcoholic, uh, cocaine addict, doing the work I'm doing right now, uh, you know, waking up from that only to find out I had another unknown addiction called codependency and intimate relationships. Uh, oh my God, you know, that was 1997. So the 90s were a huge year. We just celebrated 42 years in business, um, you know, as a counselor and a coach and an author and everything else that you said, Jeff. And, you know, just excited because this is the time. Undeterred? Are you kidding me? I mean, we need this more than anything. And and I always encourage people, you know, get the hell off of network news. Mm -hmm. uh, just get, get off of it completely and tune into people like Jeff, who's making a difference in this world in a positive way. Get out of mass consciousness. Get out of the insanity of being a follower. Be a leader like Jeff and Danielle. And you can learn how to be a leader by paying more attention to podcast like Jeff's, you know, and I, I'm just going to stop right now because we've got a lot to go over, but you know, hats off Jeff to you. What the hell you've gone through, what you've overcome, my brother, unbelievable. So I just want to thank you both for having me a part of the program and let's kick some butt. Well, thank, thanks guys. I'm really excited about this. Uh, I, I think I'll throw out there the word vulnerability. Um, you know, when I, when I go through and I meet Danielle and she actually, I have a copy of the post that she made. And I just took a picture of it, Danielle. If you don't mind, I want to read this. It's pretty short. Yeah, but this is this, is this is what um, lured me into her life because I was so in awe and admiring her vulnerability because I was doing the same thing. I was on social media talking about our son who died from heroin and, you know, just continually talking about our, our cause and journey. And in a way I realized I was becoming too vulnerable. And there is a risk of being too vulnerable. So let me read this. And Danielle, this was three. I don't know exactly when you posted this, but you said it was kind of like taking the mask off, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I read this and I, I remember the friend of mine who shared this because this was actually a share I saw from John Statmuller. He had never met you. And I think I called him up and said, who, who is this? I want to meet her. <laughs> I mean, she, her story sounds like the type of people I want to be around every day. And so here it is. This is the bravest thing I've ever done. My heart is beating out of my chest typing this in a good way. For decades, I've carried around so much shame and fear due to the choices that I made early in life. This led to massive imposter syndrome and severe depression. I'm finally 
giving myself permission to be free of that bondage and fly like the free bird I know I am. I am so very grateful for, and I won't name the person, um, for giving me the courage to let go. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I hope this helps somebody out there. And eh, like 30,000 likes later, <laughs> you know, and, and Danielle, that really is how I, I heard about you. I, I talked to you and then you told me about, and I, I do want to preface this by saying that this will be a fairly raw show today. Um, to get to comfort, we have to go through discomfort. And yeah. Danielle, I, I don't think there's any boundaries today. I think, I think you're comfortable talking about what happened to you. Um, some of us, are comfortable peeling back the layers and talking about things. Some of us aren't, but you felt compelled to in a way, I think. So feel free to share your story and, and kind of where it started, what happened, and then what you did with adversity in your life is just amazing. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. So, so that post, what I wrote, I also um, attached with it um, a video and, and in that video, it was a 60 second video. And I said, um, and, and this is all true. Um, when I was a teenager, I was raped, I was abused, I was beat. Um, I became a single mom, a stripper, a prostitute, and spent decades being depressed, suicidal, uh, drinking, and on drugs. And in my 30s, I finally decided, you know, I wanted to change my life around, got sober, went to college, got an engineering degree, became an aerospace engineer, got my dream job as an aerospace engineer, left my dream job as an aerospace engineer. Now I'm the CEO of my own aerospace company. And thank you, thank you. And um, and in that, you know, um, and then I think I ended it with, um, I did, I did this, so can you, or something like that. Um, and, you know, the point was, um, I, I had all these stories in my head, like, yeah, I made some bad choices and yeah, some bad stuff happened to me, but nobody was judging me as, as rough as I was judging myself. And I was preventing myself from being authentic with people because I was, I had such a guard about what if they find out who I used to be. And it was, it was really, it was making it hard for me to connect with people. And, and I, I'm always like an all or nothing kind of girl. And so um, I just said, you know, what? I'm just going to put it all out there. And um, it's it's actually helped me so much because now everybody that I connect with, that's I have that pinned on every one of my profiles on social media. So before they even email me or connect with me, they already know that about me. And so it's like any of those questions you might have about any of my weird quirks or whatever I do, you kind of know like the history there. And, um, and it's just opened up so many doors. So so yeah, I mean, and vulnerability, you know, well, a couple of things resonated. David, you said you were struggling with codependency. That's that's something, that was probably the last thing that I kind of discovered about myself as well and how much stemmed from being codependent um, and, and not knowing I was codependent was kind of mind blowing. But, you know, there is there is a balance um, between being vulnerable and and then not getting taken advantage of, especially being codependent if you're too vulnerable, you know, we as being codependent, we want to people please. And so people can kind of take advantage. And so kind of finding um, that dance where, but I, Brene Brown said it best. And she said, um, the way to, how did she say? I think she said the way to prevent ever um, getting angry at somebody yeah. is to have really good boundaries. Yeah. Meaning like, I don't have to worry about somebody 
taking advantage of me if I have those really good boundaries ahead of time. And that doesn't mean I have to be mean or rude or, you know, inauthentic, but you know, it's like, these are the things that I'm not okay with and, and reminding myself often what those boundaries are. Um, because sometimes we forget because we go back into old programming. Right. And so just always, you know, saying, these are the things that I stand for. These are the things that I don't allow. And then just always going back to them. Um, so anyway, that, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's my story. And, um, and yeah, I'm happy to answer any questions. I don't know if on your live streams you get, um, questions or. Yeah, we do. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. we do. Yeah. And I actually, I actually, uh, Molly just put out here, anyone has questions for you too. You know, I think the key is in this whole thing, guys, is less about, and I hate to say this because my story is so addictive. You know, I just, I love talking about my son, Seth, even though it involves, you know, him dying, but I, I love him more now. Um, and I'm no less a dad just because he's not here. So, but I, I, I've learned to dial it back. I've learned not to be so in, in people's face. So Dave, let me ask you some, David, as kind of the, the expert, you know, on the panel here in regards to, um, you know, what you do day to day, how did Danielle make that pivot? How did she make that from all those things that most people would just probably end their life to going back to college, getting an engineering degree and not just stopping there, but then being the CEO of her own engineer, it's just, it's, it's an amazing story. How does someone like Danielle do that, David? Uh, you know, uh, Danielle, what a rock star. <laughs> I love it. You know, in, in my work of 42 years, I've worked with prostitutes. I've worked with um, uh, escorts, you know, just a higher level, right? Different name, higher level. Uh, you know, we've worked with everything in the world and the vulnerability. I want to first mention vulnerability. Then I want to mention the transition uh, that Danielle, that me, that Jeff, that everyone makes when you're able to hurdle those things that so many people don't think they could ever hurdle. But first with vulnerability, you know, we have to be super careful. We have three people on here with a lot of experience. Uh, we have three people on here that are not of the average public. And so the three of us have learned to be vulnerable. And what Jeff said is sometimes we take it too far. It's absolutely true. What I recommend when people overcome some huge things like Jeff, what you've overcome, Danielle, what you've overcome, myself, et cetera, is that we really have to sit for, I believe, a couple years before we start to speak or we, before we start to spread the message of what we've gone through and overcome. Because, you know, once we overcome it, we can get this rush we call in addiction recovery the pink cloud, you know, where mm. we think that we've got it and we're going to nail it. And now we're going to share it with the world. But too many times that can send us backwards into a spiral when we're not ready to do something that Danielle said, and that is to not be codependent, to not worry about what anyone else thinks or says. There's a huge difference between overcoming massive life challenges and being ready for the attack or being ready for the, the der der derision. You know, that's going to happen. Listen, we, we get there's a lot of people that do not like David Essel uh, up until 1997. It matters. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't matter. You know, I really don't care. Um, I believe that our work is profoundly powerful, but it doesn't mean if someone thinks that, you know, I'm Joe Schmo, I'm, that, that's fine. That's their opinion. It doesn't matter to me. But I, I really want to go back to that thing about vulnerability. Vulnerability is everything. It's the reason the three of us are together. It's right. the reason we connect spiritually, which we are connecting spiritually right now. Mm -hmm. Whether you like that word or not, it's happening the way that we interact with each other, you know, the smile on Danielle's face when I said hi, the way Jeff introduced us both, you know, we're very open and we're very real, but it took us a while, I'm assuming, at least for me, it surely did. And I try to slow my clients down. 
you know, I tell them that if they're in a pathway with me of, of recovery, that not to say a word to anyone for at least 365 days, not a damn word, your partner, mm. yes, your family, yes, but not. Right. And I'll give you a classic example of what happens when you do it too soon. A couple of years ago, I was working with a, an individual from the West Coast. Doesn't I'm not going to mention gender or anything like that. Obviously, I'd be in a lot of trouble uh, with the position that I have. But this individual came with 25 years of incredible alcoholism, uh, highly functioning, making a lot of money, but uh, just an absolute wreck of a human being. And we got him at 90 days into finally being 90 days clear, 90 days clean. He thinks he's got it made. And the very first thing he does, I shouldn't say, is post. Oh, wow. Yeah. Post after 90 yeah. days, 20 years of a ridiculous background and within 90 days posting within 110 days relapse. And that's what happens when you're not grounded yeah. and you want to be vulnerable. Yeah. I mean, the intentions were fine. He was guided never to do this. And he got so overly excited. He was riding that pink cloud for people that don't know what it means. The pink cloud is when we think we're further ahead in our recovery yeah. than we actually are. You know, and, and we all go through it. We all think, oh my God, I've been clean for 30 days. I've got it made, you know? And 90% of people that have that attitude are going to relapse. Yeah. So the first thing I want to say is about vulnerability. Be super careful. Work with professionals before you make a post on social media, before you speak and you start talking about, you know, something of like what Danielle went through, the 7,000 things she overcame to become who she is today. You know, really slow down. The second part of the question I want to answer that Jeff just, you know, how did Danielle do it? Well, Danielle did it the way that all of us do it. Yeah. She reached a personal bottom. Right. And at that personal bottom, she made a choice. And I want to make a comment about a bottom. A bottom is only a choice there. You don't have to lose everything to hit a bottom. If you want to, you can. Right. <laughs> That's our choice. You know, but, you know, someone at, at 16 with their first hangover and they make a choice. I'll never drink again. That was their bottom. Their first hangover. Yeah. Yeah. Other people can go through five DUIs, lose their license for life and get one of my former clients got a sixth DUI when they rode their bike drunk into a tree. Okay. So yeah. some people, there is no such thing as a bottom, but a bottom is death, but let's not buy into that nonsense that you have to be flat out on your back before a bottom happens. Sometimes that happens, but other times you just wake up and you decide to make a choice. You know, David, and that's in, called the bottom. In, in my case, rock bottom for Seth was his life you know, and that's, that's the worst possible outcome. But yeah, you're right. A lot of times you have to hit rock bottom. A couple of things I want to clean up here real quick. Um, Patrick Moore, a good friend of mine, uh, awesome um, uh, ambassador for on the, on the addiction cause. Uh, he says, Hey, everybody, uh, Patrick's been a guest on my podcast. Uh, he is going to be a future guest on the live stream here. He's got this uh, concept with prehabituation, getting to people before it becomes a habit. Ways to identify and empower uh, kids to make better choices. So right down my alley. Uh, Kenyon Murray, a great, great friend of mine, personal friend of mine. He actually um, says, Danielle, your story is a testament to an inner strength. What was the moment you flipped the switch and started the path you have been on? Good question. Yeah. Um, a series of um, abusive relationships um, in which all of them um, involved somebody with a addiction way worse than mine. Um, pills, you know, heroin, even 
Um, and, and I got married to a guy briefly, um, that was on heroin and, um, and I ended up leaving because it was out of control. And, um, and then he passed away, uh, while we were separated. And I think the, the biggest moment for me was, I guess I just realized like either, all men, this is what I had in my head. Either all men are addicted to drugs and alcohol worse than me, like, and they're, and they're abusive, physically abusive, or I'm picking some really shitty men. And, and so I realized it was definitely the latter. Um, and, and so I, I started just looking at myself, like, why am I attracting these kind of men? I'm obviously the kind of girl they want to date. So, so what does that look like? And, and I got really honest, um, painfully honest. And, and when I looked at that, um, you know, it, it kind of led to either there were some harsh judgments that I've had to let go of, um, with myself, but, but I think at the time it was necessary and it, it just got to this point where, I either, you know, stepped up and before, prior to that moment, I hadn't really looked at myself honestly, but after that, especially after he passed away, it was like, all right, I can't go through this again. Right. Um, it was just one heartache after another and, and violence and just, it was just mess. And, and I just couldn't go through it again. So it was like, either I change um, or, or I end it, you know? And, and so I decided to, I'll, I'll give it a try. I'll try to change. That's not to say that there haven't been challenges along the way. I definitely, right. I decided to change. And at the time, the only thing I could think of that I could change was, you know, quit drinking and, and get a college degree. Um, I had no idea I was going to start my own company or, you know, do this, all this stuff I'm doing right now with renewable energy and empowering women in STEM that at the time, it was just, I need to find a way to earn an income where I don't have to be you know, putting myself in dangerous situations or depending on abusive men. Those, that was it. Those were the two things that I was trying to overcome. I just need to become financially independent legally. That was it. Yeah. Um, and then, and then one thing just kind of led to another and, and I, I just put all of my focus into um, accomplishing, you know, I, I need to be, I need to have a living. I need to make an independent, honest living. And um, I mean, there's a whole lot we could talk about with sex work. That's a topic for another day. Um, but anyway, yeah. Um, cause I don't want to sound like I'm saying that's not honest work. Um, but anyway, that's a topic yeah. for another day. Um, but anyway, I, I wanted to do it legally. I wanted to be a good role model for my daughter who, you know, was becoming a young adult. And, um, I certainly didn't have much in my life that I wanted her to do. And so I, you know, I just like, I want, you know, I want to be somebody that she can say, you know, my mom did this. I, I wanted her to feel like she could be proud of me. And I wanted to feel proud of me. Hmm. Um, and so, so that just led, you know, and then when I, I got my two year degree, that, uh, that feeling just from a, an engineering associates degree, but at that time, you know, it was all the math, the top one, two and three and, um, what's it called? Um, I can't even think of the name, um, differential equations. Gosh, it's been a while. Um, but doing all that hard math and getting, um, getting just an associates to start was such an accomplishment. Um, that, kind of gave me a high to finish my bachelor's. And then, um, and then I think because I was um, starting late in life in my career, um, I wasn't comfortable being, 
where the the engineers that were at my level were at were in their 20s and I had just turned 40. So I was definitely outperforming. I had a lot of life experience um, that they didn't have. And so I was able to work my way up um, pretty quickly. And, and I didn't know that that was going to be a benefit I would have. You know, I thought I had nothing to bring to the table, same as these 20 year olds. And I'm just old. And uh, no, that wasn't the case. I had a lot of people skills that I developed, even with all my craziness. So that was a really long answer. But it wasn't, I guess it was that first step of saying, this is, this is the thing that I can fix right now, which was, you know, earning an honest living and, and getting clean. I have the resources to do that right now. And I did that. And then from there, I just I, I kind of got addicted to that feeling of um, how accomplished and proud of myself I felt. And I, I just yeah. kept wanting to step it up. And I continue to do that. That's not to say there aren't challenges. Some days I feel like, you know, why am I doing this? But um, I have, you know, coping mechanisms now that I, I didn't have before. So uh, that's awesome. I, I appreciate that. Um, that perspective. Uh, Justice Cruz says, Hi, Jeff. Huge fan. I absolutely admire you and everything you do. Keep it up. Now, I have a number of questions here, guys. I'm going to actually jump to Justice's question, then I'll come back to Patrick's and Kenyon's. Um, Justice says, this is a question for both Danielle and David. What is one piece of advice you would give to a young man or woman on becoming the best person they can be starting at a young age? That's so good. Um, do you want to go? Do you want to go first, David? Go right ahead, Danielle. All right. Um, the best piece of advice to becoming the best person you can be. Um, your there's a book being written about you, hmm. and what do you want it to say? What do you want that next page to say when you're reading about your hero, your superhero? What do you want it to say? Um, and think about the ending of how it would sound and then just keep looking at, you know, tomorrow when you're faced with a hard decision, what, what would you do? Our, you know, our, our afraid mind, our, our negative mind wants to say, why are you, th you can't do that. You're too stupid. You're not good enough. You're too fat. You're too skinny. You're too old. You're too young. All of that crap. <laughs> but what would your story say? What would that book say? That's written about you after you're gone. What would it say? And then do do what aligns with that story. That's what I would tell you. That's awesome. I, I my son Roman wrote a song uh, in in my book called Open Book, and it was the concept that life is just pages and chapters and stories and and so you hit that that that's a great example of what Roman was trying to capture. So cool. David, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, he actually, I have the audiobook coming out here in about a week or two, and he actually sings it in the audiobook at the end of the book. Ooh, Very nice. Yeah. All right, David, what do you think about that? I, I think there's two points I would make. Number one is hang around with people that have what you want. Mm -hmm. That would be my first to a young person. If they're 12, 13, 14, 15, you know, like, look look at who you're hanging around with. And is, is your social circles filled with people that have things that you don't have that you want? In other words, you may you may have someone in your circle that's a great athlete. You've always wanted to be more athletic. Start spending more time with them. Maybe there's someone that's really social and you're more of an introvert. Hang around with them. Maybe there's someone who's more of an introvert. But when you get them one on one, they can teach you the world. You know, so I would say number one is look at who you're hanging around with and make sure you start going after people that have what you desire. They're already there. They could be a year, two, three years older. It doesn't matter. But that would be tip number one. 
Uh, number two is, and I know this is going to sound a little weird, maybe if you're 13, 14, or 15, but <laughs> if you hit 16, 17, or 18, start looking for a mentor. Start yeah. looking yeah. young for someone who's 25, 30, 35, 40. You know, it doesn't matter, but find someone who can guide you. Do not trust your own age. Your own age is filled <laughs> with limitations, yeah. baby. You know, That's you gotta awesome. go. You gotta That's you gotta good. go to old guys like me. <laughs> Seriously. You know, like when I look at my mentors when I first started, you know, I mean, all my mentors were 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years older than me, you yeah, know. And me too. Uh, and 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 when I look at what the wisdom that they brought to me, not that I always look li listen to it, guys. <laughs> not that I always followed their advice, but when I look back, I go, oh my God, thank you for Richard Gerson, who's passed away. Thank you for Steve Block, who's passed away. Thank you for Joe Cerulli, who's still in this world, kicking royal ass. Um, you know, like we got to look at who we're hanging around with. And then, you know, even at our ages, you know, I still have mentors. I will die with mentors. Yep. And yeah. so those would be the two tips I'd give for someone that really wants to create a dynamic life. Well, I have two... I have two mentors here tonight, so. Aw, likewise. And that's why David is the the life coach and author. His answer was so, so awesome. And I just have to, he made me remember a quote. Um, if you hang around um, four millionaires, you'll be the fifth. If you hang around four druggies, you'll be the fifth. Um, think about that. And, and, you know, while we're talking about changing our lives around and making decisions, um, critical step for me was um not hanging around anybody from my life from my old life and when i say nobody i mean nobody including family for a time um me you know i i during those five years that i was in college i was mia and i'm not saying you have to go that extreme but you know for me there was decades of relationships that were there um, that were really hard to break away from. So if you're young, you have it, you have it a little bit better that you don't have decades. But if you're, you know, if you're hanging around people that are making bad choices, going to jail, you know, not having a future ahead of them, or they're not planning for their future, um, you're going to do the same thing. We are who we hang around. And um, somebody said not too long ago, um, they said to be, um, so it's scary to be around a mentor, right? It's it we get nervous because we think, oh my gosh, they're so much better than me. But that's what you want. Um, mm -hmm. To be uncomfortable is to be in good company. Um, to be uncomfortable is to grow. So if if you're not intimidated by your friends, then you need to step your game up. Mm -hmm. No, those are absolutely great answers. I wanted to cover something here, Pat, and I'm going to come back to Kenyon. Kenyon has a really good question, but. Patrick says, your stories are a good way to raise the bottom for someone else. Great empowerment models. And then he says, if we knew the cause of addiction, would we be able to prevent it? I say yes. But Patrick, previous to that, says, what are good, let's see if I can find out, what are good methods to raise the bottom? Prehab is my answer. And, and he's he's kind of the um, the inventor or the uh, uh, the individual that has this prehabituation, his book's called Prehab, and I would suggest strongly that you read it. It's a whole okay. different whole different way to look at. Uh, I'll send you guys both links to it, but it's a whole different way to look at the addiction fight. And one thing I've I've noticed lately is you know there's fourteen thousand rehab and treatment centers in America. There's 
3.7 million people currently in rehab. It's a $50 billion business. But what about the kids? What, what about prehab? What about the things that are going on before they become addicts? So instead of trying to put out a forest fire with thimbles full of water, why don't we just go back and try to find ways to identify these kids? And Patrick's book talks about the stage one, two, three, four. And he is going to be a guest here shortly because he's got some great stuff to add. But what would you guys say to that question? Uh, what are good methods to raise the bottom? David, you're up. <laughs> <laughs> I can go if you want. I just feel bad because I keep going first. Oh, that's fine, Danielle. That's fine. But thank you. Um, you know, first of all, I think we have to get, you know, in our work, we define the bottom quite easy. It's a choice. Danielle hit a point where it was a choice. The pain was great enough. The frustration was great enough. The disappointment in herself was great enough that she made a choice. So I, I think we got to get away from the old 12 step definition of bottoms. You know, we got to get away from the old teachings. And, you know, I think 12 step has a few good points to it, um, but it's an 80 year old philosophy that's never been updated for God's sake. Yeah. And I make this analogy every chance I have. If there was an auto dealership that was still working out of file cabinets from 80 years ago, they would be out of business in a heartbeat. Um, you know, 12 step has been around for 80 years. They have never updated their, their work. Uh, we know that you don't have to wait to get a DUI or a divorce or some health yeah. crisis to hit a bottom. Come on, guys. We got to, you know, we got to educate and we've got to educate up to today. 12 step has a 10% success rate for God's sake, a 90% failure rate. Now, if you're a 12 stepper and it works, don't change it. Right, right. As right. long as you haven't cross addicted to caffeine, nicotine, some other drug, sex, spending, television, social media, you know, because just overcoming an addiction is not the answer. You've yeah. got to make sure you don't cross addict. You got to make sure, you know, there's so much work in this world to do. But, you know, going to the, 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 the secondary question just really quickly, and then I'm going to hand it over to Danielle. You know, we in our work, we have found it's really easy to find the beginning of all addiction and all addictions are caused by one thing only. Our inability to deal with life and life's emotions. That's the only thing that causes addiction. And unless you're a fetal alcohol baby born addicted to alcohol, yeah. unless you're uh, born addicted to opiates, um, we don't come out as addicts. So that tells us that the environment the lack of training on how to deal with, in my case, uh, peer pressure. You know, peer yeah. pressure is huge. And, you know, the, the just say no, come on now. You know, again, it's 2021. We have to go a lot deeper than that. And we need to teach kids coping mechanism, emotional coping mechanisms for sadness, rage, resentment, shame, guilt, insecurity, peer pressure. I mean, that is the crux. If we can get those messages to the kids, we would see a huge drop in addiction because then they would be in control. In therapy, we call it emotional regulation. You know, that they are actually in control of their emotional response to the world. If you can be in control of your emotional response to the world, the chances of any addiction, television for God's sake, would be minimized dramatically. Yeah, I, I agree with everything that you just said. And I, I love the idea of prehab. That's uh, super interesting. Um, I think about this a lot um, from, well, we live in, um, okay, we're in a, we're in a global pandemic. The government has just told us that UFOs are real. Um, <laughs> the planet is ending and, um, and we're supposed to, you know, 
be able to focus on our job and our health. And, and we don't even know what we are and why we're here. So it's, a, it's kind of a lot, right? It's kind of a lot to take in. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, add to that, we kind of live in this narcissistic society where kids are, parents are narcissistic often and, and we're all probably a little bit guilty of it, if not a lot. Um, it's kind of passed down from generation to generation. And, and we don't know how to regulate our emotions. And, and that was the number one thing that I had to do was, um, you know, manage my anxiety and, and learn how to, how to body scan. If I would have learned that when mm. I was a kid, just exactly. how to scan my body and feel where the tension is and just breathe. I mean, I just can't even imagine how much that would have saved me. And, I, and I'm seeing classes where they they are teaching this to children. I wish I would have known about this when my daughter was younger. Um, we talk about it all the time now, but you know, you, we're we're trained to disconnect from our body, um, and and I think that's what um, the addiction kind of comes in because it it makes it easier to disconnect. Um, and mm. and then when you do start reconnecting, when you start getting sober, it can kind of feel like after the pink cloud, it can feel really scary um, because now you're dealing with these realities. Like what, what am I even, and why am I here? And, you know, just being okay with that is, um, is a challenge in itself. So um, I, I think, you know, teaching kids the power of meditation and. Ah, you beat um, me to it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to hit, I wanted to hit that, but no, go ahead. That, that's a great point. It's so true, you know, and just teaching, you know, how to, where we feel our emotions in our body. Um, it's, it's so connected and, um, and it's, it's silly that we have to, you know, go through these decades of addictions to learn this very, very simple principle. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, but, and, and I, I, so I, I, I really am curious to see um, prehab and, and what it talks about it in respect to, you know, helping out kids and, and parents too. Um, because I think it's kind of the parents, me included, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not innocent of this, but we've done narcissistic things to our kids. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's really easy to tell them to toughen up when someone picks on them at school or we want right. them to fight back or, you know, whatever the case may be, or, you know, push them a little too hard in sports maybe and tell them, I don't know what, whatever it is that we might've done as parents, we, we can um, minimize and in gaslight even. So um, it's, it's interesting because I think when I started healing, you know, I went through this phase where I was kind of pissed at my parents for a lot of stuff and like journaling, oh, they did this, they did this. But then I realized like, oh my gosh, I did all that stuff to my daughter. Okay. So hmm. uh, now it's all coming full circle. So it's like, all right, I, I know I didn't know I was doing that when I did that. So I, and I know that I'm sorry, but being able to talk about it and not, you know, fighting and getting emotionally charged is, is so important. But I think as a society, um, just sort of, you know, learning how to be compassionate and, um, and just being connected to our bodies, uh, the younger, the better. Oh, those are great answers, guys. Um, I'm just gonna actually I want to come I want to take Patrick right now because he makes an observation of what we just talked about. And I'm going to go back to Kenyon real quick. Patrick says the variable you both refer to but failed to name is development, specifically risk response development. This is measurable. And that's where I've read his book twice. He talks a lot about risk response uh, behaviors and, and it's uh, it's enlightening. And I would really suggest that um, anybody out there is looking for an, as I say, an arrow in the quiver, you know, there's no, there's no template that says you're going through this. It's like, 
you know, when my son, when our son died, there wasn't just a template that said, when your son dies, this is what you do. There's all these arrows I equipped myself with meditation, mm -hmm. uh, giving them you know, quit drinking, reading, you know, talking about being vulnerable, all these different ways that helped me deal with it. So Patrick, um, thanks so much for being a part of all the live streams. I cannot wait to get you on. Um, go back to Kenya. Yeah. Uh, when he said it's measurable, does he mean measurable as in it, it happens so much that there's data that he has like charts on it or like yeah, measurable, like I can actually connect a scientific device and measure my emotions. He, no, he, the, the first one, he has okay. uh, Kennesaw State. I figured, but I was hoping for a really cool scientific invention. <laughs> yeah, at Ke Kennesaw State University is where his research was. And I think there was 5,000 students or something, if I remember oh, right. Cool. But he, he's he got a lot of data for this. This isn't just somebody spouting off on social media. Yeah, he's, yeah. Got some, he's got some good stuff. I'm going to go back to Kenyon, um, one, one of my great friends. He says, David, my question for you, your journey can be taxing on you mentally and emotionally. What keeps you focused and energized to touch the people you touch, say, as a life coach or a motivational speaker? Yeah, that's really beautiful. It's all self-love and self-care. Uh, Kenyon, great question. It all comes down to self-love. And, you know, self-love is not has nothing to do with what you say in the mirror, um, a la Stuart Smalley from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> yeah, it has nothing to do with that at all. So many people that's say awesome. they love themselves. You know, um, the, the way that I keep my energy up is pure self-love, which means what do I do on a daily basis to keep my emotion, spiritual, physical health, energy at the optimum level? And so we share, you know, with our clients. So the first hour of every day, there should be no electronics whatsoever opened up. So when you wake up and you open up your phone, you're already screwed. Sorry yeah. to tell you guys, all of us phone addicts, and it's probably about 98% of the U.S. population. Uh, but we say no electronics. That means no social media, no text, no email reading, uh, no television, no nothing for the first hour of the day. And in that first hour, I mean, a lot of it, it uh, me and I are speaking, we're talking, we're going over the day, we're going over how we love each other. We're, I mean, it's a very soft opening to the day. I don't, you know, I used mm -hmm. to jump out of bed, jump to my phone, see yeah. who I need to text, you know, and all yeah. that kind of crap. And now it's very relaxed. You know, it's extremely relaxed meditation, journaling, gratitude, reading something inspirational, not on a computer, <laughs> like actually grab a book. Uh, you know, these are the ways to sell exercise. I mean, hugely important. So you know, if you follow self-care and self-love, the question that Kenyon asked, no matter how many hours you work, you can be inspirational. You can be inspired. I mean, it's eight o'clock, nine o'clock Eastern time right now. You know, we could go on until two in the morning. I know Danielle could. Yeah. I know you could, Jeff. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and it's not because, you know, we're back to our old days of cocaine and all that other stuff. You know, <laughs> it's because we found a path and the path is vitalizing us. The path is re-energizing yeah. us. Now, even if you're on a path that is filled with energy, you can burn out and you yeah. can become a workaholic. So, yeah. you know, we've got to find that little, and I don't like, I don't like the word life balance at all because that's a ridiculous concept no one's ever going to balance their life out. Um, there's too many factors. I won't get into it right now, but there's a thousand factors why you'll never live a balanced life. So don't worry about living a balanced life. Start your day the first hour hmm. with you taking care of you and you'll watch the rest of your day unfold in a totally different way than it probably is right now. It's funny you say that. I was watching and uh, listening to a podcast about um, multitasking and the individual saying that, you know, no, nobody that's successful is good at multitasking because 
being productive doesn't mean that you're being creative. So you get the laundry done, the dishes, you, you do all these productive things. Like I'm busy, but at the end of the day, you haven't done anything. You haven't created anything. So I think there's a, there's some issues in regards to how productivity and multitasking. And for me with ADD, and I know, I know you two have ADD as well. I, I guarantee you do. Um, you're, you're, I've never been diagnosed, but I don't disagree. No, I, I'll diagnose you right now. And David, you too. Both you guys. <laughs> um, but it's awesome. It's, it's a freaking superpower to be hyper-focused. But the problem is, is the fact you can become hyper-focused and you can get so into projects that you kind of neglect things around you. So Kenyon said, thank you, David. Great point. We need to have the time to center ourselves. Uh, go back to Justice. He's the one that asked about the young man or woman. He says, awesome, guys. Thank you for the advice. My dad is watching. Uh, my dad's a retired doctor, University of Iowa. One of the greatest, uh, my mom and dad are the greatest mentors in my life. I, I just absolutely have learned so much. I think I think they're, I'm going to say 87, 88, but at that point, who's counting, right? Um, hi, Justice. But, uh, <laughs> hi, Justice's dad. <laughs> uh, but, That's uh, a really cool name, by the way. Justice, yeah, he's he's, yeah. he's an awesome kid, a nice story in, in and of itself. Um, uh, but anyway, so, but, um, and then Daniel Allison says, the pain of life is greater than the pain from the addiction. And he's the average dude. I think Danielle and David, if you follow LinkedIn, David goes by the average dude. He has great short one or two minute posts every day that are very kind of like, they're my daily affirmations cool. for me. Um, and then, uh, uh, let's see. Yeah, Patrick has a lot of stuff in here. I think the reality is um, I, I need to get him on board here because I think uh, he can add a lot with this prehab angle. I know it's helped me a ton. Um, so, you know, I guess I want to go back to a couple different things. And one of them is the, when I wrote my book, I came across this idea that I thought was kind of ground, groundbreaking to me, but it's been out there for 20 years. And that's this concept of post-traumatic growth. And we talk so much about post-traumatic stress. It's kind of the sexy term that, you know, you come home from the war and, and things have, pro you know, you have problems. The next thing you know, it's, they put a label on your forehead, PTSD, or you have a traumatic event like Danielle went through in her teenage years or, or myself losing a child. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's fine. But what's the antithesis? What's the opposite of, of PTSD? Well, I stumbled across post-traumatic growth. I'm just wondering, David, you know, you're, you're in the life coach business and the motivational speaking business. Why is there very little said about things like post-traumatic growth, which, which basically in a nutshell is, if you're not familiar, it's not resiliency. Post-traumatic growth is your ability after a series of events that have happened and you haven't had the ability to recover. Like Danielle's a good example. She is like the epitome of post-traumatic growth because she had these things happen and she fell and she had another thing and she fell and it kind of compounded. And then one day she had growth from these things. So the difference between resiliency is somebody who just always is resilient, kind of Teflon, kind of bulletproof. Danielle wasn't that way for a block of her life. And then she just decided, I'm going to grow. And I'm just wondering why the industry, the mental health industry doesn't grasp onto that concept more. You know, I, I think that one of the answers, Jeff, is that our industry and, you know, going back when I got my counseling degree in the 80s, um, what they taught us in school then, we probably use 20% of it in my practice as a counselor today and as a coach and everything else. You know, we, we, we we're still stuck in terminology from the 70s, 80s. And, yeah. and I don't think 
that there's a lot of people in the professional world of counseling that are doing work outside of what they've learned. So when you talk about hmm. post-traumatic growth, uh, there's no college course on it that I've ever right. heard of. You right. know, and and it's just like with emotional regulation, you know, and and codependency in our counseling training. No one talked about codependency other than if you're with an addict, you're codependent. That was it. That was all the teaching we had. The whole course was just on one concept. But 20, uh, 40 years later, 42 years later, you know, we realized codependency has 2000 legs to it. So I, I think, you know, some of these newer concepts, well, codependency isn't new, but but the how insidious it is, is new. How much of an, we call in 2002, we labeled codependency the largest addiction in the world by far. And it totally is. You cannot see it. You can't smell it. You can't taste it. You can't hold it. It is so tricky. So when we look at post-traumatic stress disorder, it is a really hot topic. It's been a hot topic. Mm -hmm. It's going to be hotter than anything after the pandemic is over in two, four, six, eight, ten 10 years, whenever it does end. You know, I, I tell, and here's something to go along with that, Jeff, about what you're talking about. We believe that if people don't start living emotionally regulated lives right now with incredible self-care, like the gentleman asked me, you know, what is it that I do? People are waiting for the pandemic to end. It may not end. And I'm not being fatalistic or negative. I'm just being realistic. Everyone said 2021, right. the pandemic's over. Guess what? It's still here. There's countries shutting down. I have clients in Thailand that can't get back into Thailand because of what happened in uh, a couple months ago when they had this massive outbreak. So what we say is if you want to be ahead of the game, understand this is never leaving. The pandemic is here for the rest of our lives. Now let's live. <laughs> and so when we look at post-traumatic growth, I would say, hey, for everyone who right now who's still arguing over politics, the pandemic, the vaccine and everything else, grow up. There's no benefit to arguing because no one has the answer. There's too many potential variables for anyone to know when it's going to end, which vaccine is better than the other. So we can actually go, Jeff, into what you're talking about right now by stopping the insanity. You know, post-traumatic growth could be, wow, I've been stressed. I've lost 50 pounds in the last year or I've gained 150 pounds in the last year. Let yeah. me look at my lifestyle. Yeah. Let me look at the patterns right. that I've created. And if we stop the patterns now in six months to a year, we'll be absolutely awesome. I mean, Danielle definitely embodies post-traumatic growth. Now, my, my, I guess my original kind of observation was that, you know, if you have a stressful, post-traumatic stressful environment hap or something happened to you and you didn't know that there was this thing out there that is equally as labeled as PTSD, it's just PT, P post-traumatic growth and you didn't know about it, well, then you're just going to struggle trying to find a name for recovering and being undeterred and being resilient. You're going to, you don't have a name for it. And so we just like to put names on things. And that kind of leads me into a question I, I want to answer from my friend Kenyon. Uh, Patrick is kind of blowing up all the messages here. Uh, he's got some great stuff in here that I do want to kind of circle back to something he has for Danielle. Um, but Kenyon asks, and, and, and I, I love Kenyon and I know exactly why he's asking this question and it's an awesome question. Question for Jeff, when you have a friend who clearly is being guided by something greater than any of us, what would you call that something? And I have to, I have to, I have to confess, I read this, you know, he, po he posted this six minutes ago, so I've had the advantage to think about this. Um, I'll be honest with you. I, I, 
Now, this is directed towards me, so I'm going to give you my answer. Um, I, I am comfortable not... The English language isn't equipped to explain things that don't have an explanation. It just doesn't. And, and our language is very ill-equipped to talk about things like transcendence and, and, and religious experience people have about things they can't explain, so they put a label. So for me... I'm comfortable saying, I don't know what that something is. I, I don't, I, I don't want to put a label on it. Now, could it be something that could be, you know, I'm sure. I hate to, I hate to say the, the G word because I think if, the, if there is a God for me, it would be less of a personal God and more of a universal, you know, spirituality type God. Very, that's more likely for me than something that's trying to guide my personal life. Um, I, I don't know if I would really want that, quite honestly. Um, to me, that would be almost like a celestial bully. Um, and I'm not really sure if I'm, I'm equipped to, to, to accept that part. But there is something going on. I, I don't know what the hell it is. I'm, I'm so driven on my, my desire to, to honor my son, to help myself and to help others. And I, I'm agnostic. I'll confess. You know, I know where both you two stand and I love you both equally. And Kenyon, I love him to death as well. And that's the great thing about this whole thing is, is the beauty that whether or not you are a believer or a, a, a still willing to learn, <laughs> that's what I am, um, you still, it doesn't preclude you from doing great things in your life. It shouldn't prohibit you from starting a nonprofit or writing a book or being a mentor or a coach. And Kenyon, I love you, man. You and I have talked till three in the morning on this particular topic. And you are a strong man of God. You have tremendous faith. Um, and I, 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 um, more of us need, uh, need what you believe in to get, to get through the day. So I appreciate the question. I'm not sure I answered it. I think what I put a bow tie in it for me guys is I'm okay, not knowing. And I don't really at this stage of my life have to know, but I know something is driving me. Something, something is more complicated than my feeble little brain. Um, and I'm okay. I am okay saying, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I love, that was a beautiful answer, Jeff. Um, you know, I, I like to talk about this topic, uh, quite often. I was raised in, um, a very evangelical speaking in tongues, Christian church. And to say I was a victim of spiritual abuse is probably an understatement. Um, I think you I said it was a cult. Topic. Was it a, was it a cult, Danielle? I mean, cult like, but yeah, I yeah. mean, but not, I mean, it was still, you know, we worship Jesus, not a person, um, not a, you know, a leader, but it was definitely had some attributes for sure. And there were some questionable, um, events for sure. Um, but, but this is my favorite topic to talk about, um, in my free time, you will find me talking about this topic because I've I've questioned this um, since I was a little kid. And, you know, I don't know either, but some days, you know, I might watch a sci-fi movie and like, holy, holy crap, we're, we're made of, we're made from aliens. They, they <laughs> you know, they cloned us and we're some kind yeah. of hybrid. And then another day I might be like, oh, you know, there's a intergalactic spiritual war. Um, but it's, it's a fluid, but definitely there's a, obviously, you know, this is so intelligent 
um, the design, the mathematics that go into this universe um, is is so sophisticated, so elegant. So obviously there's something. Um, but I think wanting to know and not being able to know is like kind of what makes it so interesting. I don't know. Um, it, it's something I could philo philo philosophize about for, for days on end. So I guess just agreeing with you, Jeff, um, you know, yeah, just agreeing with you that I, I don't know that any of us know, but, but if you know that, you know, then, you know, who am I to take that from, from somebody right. um, to kind of to Kenyon as well, that I, I think it's great that, you know, people can have um, tremendous faith, but, you know, for me, I, it is personal because it's not consistent. Yeah. <laughs> it can change depending on what documentary I might see that blows my mind. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, that could be it. So but that's the, that's, that's your, that's your willingness to be willing to with evidence, change your mind. And, and that's the beauty of, of, of that. But um, you know, I, I will say, well, David, why don't you, I want to kind of hear your thoughts on that too, because I know where you stand on this and, and you both are doing just absolutely heroic things. And, and, um, I met so many people in this journey that I, I tend to have come to this conclusion. And, and I, Kenyon says, I love you, brother. I had to poke you. <laughs> um, but, but here's, here's how I'll, I'll put my ending on this. Then David, you can take this um, to the top of the hour, but um, I care less what people believe and more how they behave. That's it. So what you two believe in doesn't interest me. How you two are behaving you have my admiration. Yeah. I, that's beautifully put, Jeff. You know, I, as a former pastor and current minister, um, I have this unbelievable connection with God that is non-religious. Hmm. Interesting. Explain. Yeah. I'm sure church? you will. <laughs> what What? Um, what kind of church do you pastor? Um, I, I was a pastor of an all-faith church. So I became cool. an all-faith minister and I was an all-faith minister for a long time and then became pastor of an all-faith church. I can get and down then, with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. awesome. I mean, you yeah. know, my sermons would include stories about Buddha, stories about, you know, the 3000 gods in Hinduism. And I love all the gods in Hinduism. Yep. They're amazing. Um, but when I say non-religious God, you know, to me, um, I, I have a challenge with a lot of religions because of the shame and guilt that they inject into their congregation. Um, I have a real problem with religion because of the concept of tithing, where most religions teach if you tithe, you'll be in God's favor, which I think is absolutely disgusting. It makes hmm. me want to puke. So even though I am you know, someone who loves religion from a non-religious point of view, hmm meaning there is no dogma that I follow. There's no one that's going to get yeah. me to tie the penny. There's no one that's going to convince me that, that there is an evil God or a foreboding right. God. Right. You know, in, in the Old Testament, they talk about um, God-fearing men and women. And so when you hear those words and people take it literally, it is so disgusting because when I worked with a rabbi as part of my training to become an all-faith minister, I brought that up to him. He said, do you have any questions about the Old Testament? Is there anything that bothers you? I said, hell yes. I go, I don't fear God. God, If God is love or the eminence of love or the spirit of love or however you want to put it, why would he put us into positions of pain or and peril? I'm sorry? I said, or she. Or she, right, exactly. You know, whatever this, <laughs> this entity, you know, may be. 
Um, yeah. and, and, and it could be anything to anyone. So what I say is create your own personal power, your own personal God, mm. your own personal, but this goes back to mass consciousness. What I said in the beginning, you know, our work is about getting people to become leaders, not followers. Do yeah. not become a follower because once yeah. you give up your freedom and you believe a hundred percent and there's nothing that's a hundred percent accurate. Right. And you, 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 we, we see that in science. I mean, you guys are, and Danielle, you're much more science-based than I am, but you know, there's theories that destroy um, all the evidence that was based for the last thousands of years, you know, so it continues to evolve. So create your own higher power. If it's sunset, sunrise, if it's whatever it is that you feel greatly connected to, read about the Native Americans. Oh yeah. my God, they have yeah. some of the most deepest spiritual practices ever. A yeah. great book, The Dancing Healers by Dr. Carl Hammerschlag, written years ago. It's a perfect introduction to an entity, a God, a something, a force so much greater than us that can help us with our grief, help us celebrate, help us do everything. But right. you know, the, the final thing I'm gonna say on this is that I believe above and beyond words that we all really need to work more on faith, which is belief in the yet unseen. And when you believe in the yet unseen, that has nothing to do with religion. If you don't want it to have anything to do with religion, what about yourself? What, what about honoring yourself? You know, in, in many of the Eastern practices, there's a word called hamsa, and it's a meditative word that I use every day. And the, the meaning of it is, I am that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in Genesis, we are made in God's image. Hamsa, in, in, in so many of the Vedic words that we hear uh, from Muktananda and Yogananda and all these amazing teachers, you know, they're saying, I am that. You are God. Yeah. God resides within all of us. So you don't have to go to a temple, a synagogue, a church, unless it feeds your soul to the highest level possible. And you're not being, you know, Danielle or, or Jeff, you said cult-like, you're not being drugged down into, if you do this, you're going to heaven. If you do this, you're, I don't even believe there's a such thing as hell. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah. As a pastor minister, I don't believe, David, I don't believe in purgatory. David, <laughs> yeah. do you, have you ever heard of Carlton Pearson? No, I, I want to send you. Um, so I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma and, um, and you know, that's the Bible belt central. Um, and, and Carlton Pearson was, um, a, a really successful pastor there. Um, and, and he said exactly what you said. And he was part of like the whole ORU network and, and Oral Roberts, you know, said it was heresy and kicked him out, but there's a really cool, um, and he does a YouTube channel now. Um, anyway, he, I think you would like him. So if it's okay, I want to send you, um, his, his video. Um, they did a special on him, I think on like one of the, one of the major networks a few years ago, but sorry to interrupt. I was just curious if you've heard of him because you're reminding me and he ended up becoming an all faith pastor as well. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. you, you know, you know, the beauty to me and then, and Jeff and Danielle, I'm going to have to run in about 30 seconds. I'm so sorry. That's fine. Um, you know, but but the beauty of, of what you're saying, Danielle, is that, you know, we need more people like Carlton. You know, we need more people with a voice that says, hey, there's alternative pathways. I mean, when I decided to become a minister, you know, we have Catholic priests in my family. We have uh, my aunt uh, at 94 died of being a nun of since 16. She actually lied uh, <laughs> to get into uh, the convent. That's a great way to start your religious path, right? <laughs> yeah. That's great. But, you know, my mom, when my mom was alive, she used to tell me stories about her sister, my Aunt Rita, who was the nun. 
And, you know, at six, she knew she was going to be a nun for her life. I mean, it was a, it, it was just driven into her. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just love when people will broaden and read about other faiths. You know, even though it's going to be yeah. sound funny, two of my favorite books are um, The Idiot's Guide to World Religions and World Religions for Dummies. Um, I love these books. They go into religions that most people have never heard of. Right, and, right. And we see, you know, as so many people have said, the similarities. Yeah. Um, you know, you can drag the similarities through all religions at some level. And then, of course, we have division. <laughs> and the division is what creates division and more yeah. division. So mm -hmm. open our minds. Read about other pathways. Try new ways. If the, the food that you're getting from the, the world you're living in isn't filling your soul, you know, I just told a client today, leave that church. Yeah. Leave it. It, mm -hmm. If there's 50% or 30% or 20% that you don't agree with that you think is damaging to yourself, your self-esteem, your confidence, your children, whatever, leave it. There's yeah. thousands of other ways. And you can also just be you. You can be God yourself. And, and you can expand your universe by realizing that God resides within you and everyone else. You know, um, Ram Das used to have this great saying. He said, everyone is Christ in drag. Hmm. <laughs> That's so I, love good. I love it's that so, so much. <laughs> freaking awesome. You know, and, and, and I said I was going to be gone in, in 45 yeah. seconds. I'm so sorry. I'm going to steal 30 more seconds. Um, <laughs> I have one thing I, I want to add when you're done. Okay. I love the homeless. I love looking into the eyes of the homeless. I love talking to them. I love asking them their first name. I love asking them their story, you know, because they share. They have so much to share with us. They're so right. beautiful souls, you know? So let's get out of that box and let's get uncomfortable and let's radically change the way that we treat others and look at others. And when we do that, we're going to radically change ourselves. Yeah, I guess and you're, I love those those points. And whether you inject something from the heavens or inject something from within, um, it shouldn't matter. And, and really, religion shouldn't state claim to the word faith. They don't own that word. And for me, I had faith that the doctor that prescribed Adderall to Seth, that Seth wouldn't get addicted to it. So, you know, faith, faith can have so many different connotations. And I think sometimes that word is used kind of as to weaponize people. But anyway, David, I know you got to go. I love you, brother. Um, Danielle, Danielle and I will wrap up the last uh, eight or nine minutes, but I uh, appreciate what you're doing. And a quick shout out. How do people reach you on social media? Oh, really easy. As a matter of fact, I'm going to offer everyone a special guest because I love a, a, a gift because I love Jeff so much. If you go to talkdavid.com, T-A-L-K-David.com, that's all I do is talk. It's a really easy name to remember. Talkdavid.com. Hit the contact us button. Send a note to my team saying, I saw David on Jeff's show and I'd like a free 20 minute phone session. I'll give as many of your listeners who are serious about change. Now, only if you're serious, right. if you're kicking tires and going, well, I really don't know if I want to change pass on me. But if you're serious and you're going, I really want to learn more about X or Y or Z, go to talkdavid.com, hit the contact us button, send us an email. My team will set it up. No matter where you live, we'll do your 20 minute session at no charge. And trust me, we can move mountains in 20 minutes. Kenyon said, thanks, David. I love that, David. Each person's relationship should be personal and not religious. Religion is what I feel has destroyed the true spirituality that we should have with God. So with that, thank you very much, brother. I love you. Okay. Love you guys. See ya. All right. All right nice to meet you. Yeah. Same here, Danielle. Uh, awesome guy, man. This has been fun. <laughs> yeah, that was, I, I didn't know he was a minister. That was really um, interesting. Oh, we could get into some very crazy conversations about. Well, I have, I actually, I took 
you know, I have this much stacks of rough drafts in my book. I took religion out of my book because at some point I got half my book talking about this because it's always been something I have been just perplexed that people assume that I couldn't be doing what I'm doing unless I had been driven by something from the heavens. And I have never had a reason to inject God in my life. And that sounds odd because I've been, I've been down, I've been suicidal ideation, I've lost a child, lost a marriage. I mean, I have the, the bucket, the list of all the things that would, I'm a broken man, somebody saved me. I've never felt broken. I've never yeah. felt, I've never felt the need for an assistance from something that was outside of me. Does that make sense? Yeah, I you, you just nailed it. I was gonna say, I felt broken so many times, but I've realized in all of that brokenness that I was the savior. And yeah. it was up to me, like realizing, I, in fact, when somebody asked earlier, what was that moment that I changed things around? I, it was the moment I said to myself, nobody is coming to save you. Yeah. And and that was a big thing for me. So, um, hey, maybe that was God working behind the scenes. Who knows? But either way, yeah. it was, you know, <laughs> I, I realized that. Um, and I think that's what we're afraid of is realizing that we do have the power. Um, sometimes it's easier to kind of default to an external source um, than to do that inner work because inner work can can be ugly sometimes. But it's awesome. Just the the aspect of learning has been been exciting, and I guess that's probably the fun part about being my age and knowing that I don't know the answers to most of these things. Is I got excitement to keep learning, and if I knew the answer already, right? What the hell would I do? What the hell would I do yes. if I already knew the answer to everything? I I I, I almost like don't want to know the answer to these questions, like the UFO thing. I laughed. I'm like, that's going to be a bummer if they exist because I kind of like hunting for Bigfoot, but not actually finding him. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's so true. Oh, that's hey, so uh, funny. Patty Snyder says, I admire all of your vulnerability and sharing your stories. When you all made your decisions to become so open and sharing your stories, did you ever second guess sharing so publicly? I'll go first, Danielle. We have about six, four minutes. Uh, I, I did. I struggled with it immensely. The year after Seth died, I drank myself to death. I, I never had a gun to my head, but I, I knew where the gun was. I knew where the bullets were. Um, I just didn't have the courage, I guess, to kill myself, if that makes any sense. Um, but uh, nonetheless, I didn't, and I found something that clicked, and it started with me just stopping drinking, and then things just started coming into order. So that's how I kind of my my first step was was my drinking. Yeah, um, uh, absolutely. I second guessed it for for years, for many years, um, and the only regret I had when I went public with my story was um, that I didn't do it sooner. Yeah, um, I I had told myself so many ridiculous things that were, I thought were going to happen to me and, um, and none of them happened. So yeah. Um, I second guessed it a lot and it was like a, just this weight on my back that kind of would never go away. Yeah. It's, it's awesome to kind of let it off, just get it off your shoulders, but then, you know, Hey, I just opened up the door. I better be able to deal with it. Um, yeah. And, Patrick... and that is, you know, that's true. You don't want to do it too soon until you're ready. And I think David was saying that, um, earlier about, kind of sitting with your healing for a couple of years. Yeah. And, yeah. And I, I sort of did that without knowing that I should do that. So I'm, I'm glad that I didn't, you know, do it too soon. So, so maybe second guessing for a little bit is maybe good. I don't know. Maybe it's good for oh, it's definitely make, good. It's you know, definitely to make good. sure I, that you're ready. 
I've second guessed all the way through everything I've ever done. Mm -hmm. I second my book. I second guessed the live stream. I second guessed. I mean, if mm -hmm. I again, if if everyone just gave me the answers to everything, what the hell reason would I have to live for? I mean, right, right. Um, Patrick Moore says the important thing about a higher power is that I am not him or her. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I second that. Maria asks, hi, Jeff. Not sure if I'm too late. You're never too late, Maria. Thanks for jumping on. I've enjoyed uh, knowing you on LinkedIn. And this is going to be re-broadcasted re, uh, shortly. So whatever you did miss, you can definitely catch. Um, Kenyon says, you're a blessing, Jeff, every day. Justice says, thank you, David. And then Kenyon says, thank you, Danielle. Continue blessing this world with your light. Um, Danielle, you are awesome. I am honored to meet you. I have a very big, huge project I'm working on. I can't wait. To I know. This. And I'm, I'm going to drag you in on it. So, okay. but I'm going to have to talk to you off air sometime shortly, but it's not till next year. I got a lot of time to plan for this, but it's, it's, it's awesome. And it's going to bring in everybody I've ever met on social media and how we're going to, how we're going to make a dent in this problem. Um, oh, exciting. I can't wait to hear more. I'm always happy to support you in any way, Jeff. I, I'm really looking forward to finding out more. So uh, about a minute, how do we find Danielle? What's the best way to reach you? And how do we support you in your in your cause and, and your organization? How about your website of your company? Yeah, so, <laughs> well, I'm on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to find me. Um, you know, our company, we're, we're working on, I'm just going to say flying cars. Um, mm -hmm. I would actually encourage you. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to refer you to a friend of mine's website um, called flight crowd, F L I G H T dash crowd. And, and the reason I'm telling you to go to her website is because she focuses on um, some of the like introductory to getting involved in this space. If you, so I'm just going to tell you, your, your listeners, you guys flying cars are the future. It's real they're coming. Um, they're here and, and we're not going to go buy them like at the dealership, but they will be autonomous and probably start out with a pilot. Um, but you'll be able to get on your phone and, and order um, basically a giant drone that will come pick you up and take you over. Um, they're here. I've been in them. It's real. And they're all electric and they're good for the environment and all that good stuff. Now, right now it's really heavy in the engineering side. So unless you're an engineer, um, a lot of what I would share with you probably wouldn't mean much. Um, but I, got, I got about, crowd, I got about, I got about thirty seconds, Daniel. Oh, is it just going to end? Okay, yeah. Flight Crowd yep. will give you terms that you don't have to be an engineer to learn about this industry. So just go to Flight Crowd and start there. And anyone follows me, I'm, I have all your information. People can reach out to you. Again, your story is awesome. You're a great inspiration. I just, I mean, I've got to know you so much about everything else. I want to hear about your business and your I future. <laughs> I, I mean, know. we don't we'll spend talk time talking day. about that. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely get you back on, but uh, you're awesome. Appreciate it again. And for those people that would like to support my cause, go to www.livingundeterred.com and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, like me, share me talk about us. And again, the big project in 30 days, I'm going to be announcing it. So Danielle, have a great evening. Thank you very much and keep living undeterred. Okay. Thanks so much, Jeff. All right. Thanks, have a everybody. great night. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it very much.